This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hey everyone, I'm Dana Pickley. This is Adam Sass. And this is Princess Weeks. And this is Horror is So Queer. We are back. We're back. And we're almost, we're back, but we're, we're, back we're, on our, <laughs> <laughs> we're back in our last two episodes. Yeah, like the Backstreet, like the Backstreet Boys, we are here to be sexual and then we're here to get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> Just what everyone came for. <laughs> so, um, initially we had discussed doing some space horror. And then we realized there's just not a lot of queerness other than aliens with Ripley, which is, who is queer icon uh, forever. So we talked about... We have about, Jason X. We have Jason oh, X. We have Jason. Event Horizon. But that topic is no more. That topic is no more because yeah. we decided to focus on queer modern movies. Woo-hoo! So things that are things are from like the mid-aughts to now. But yeah, when you did when you when you mentioned like okay, we're gonna do modern horror. Me as that awful gay who's like, well, se- uh, like seventies and eighties were horror, and it's a shame they never made another horror again. Uh, <laughs> so like, I, I was really I was like I was like, oh, what are we talking about? Because I don't feel like they've made any, but uh, they sure have. Oh, made come, yeah. come now, Adam. I was like, oh, okay, some- Midsommar, Let's talk about it from the queer perspective of we would have been out of that place after we oh, saw out. those white outfits. Oh my god, well, we would have gotten those vibes immediately. It's like this that's is giving me white thing. supremacy vibes. I need to get out of here. Yeah, the only bear would be a guy named Ken, and we would have pieced out immediately. Yeah, it was definitely like the vibe of like um, that recent video that everybody was just recently clowning on, um, where it was like, "Come to Guatemala, where we all live here." So these white women, um, and they were all living in a commune. Did you see this? No, <laughs> I saw that. It was like no Guatemalans, just vibes. I saw someone reading no Guatemalans, just vibes. Yeah, was it was just like, like Lord. <laughs> it was like come to here and here. Well. We have a view of a, a sacred lake, and I was like, no one in this group knows why this lake is sacred, nor are they from here, nor is this appropriate. This is but, very disturbing. I'll have to look this up. And also, it. it's the perfect premise for, like, a horror movie, because one of them is going to knock over some sacred piece of ancestry, and the ancestors are going to be like, what is going on here? <laughs> it is time to hunt okay (laughs) hunter gathering is back we're gonna hunt and gather these hoes right now that is not what i thought that was going i was i was i really thought you were going more in like um they like she exposes how high maintenance she actually is by like someone spills something and she's like this is oh and she kills them all also could happen the sequel well okay so speaking of sacred lakes let's kick this off talking about Stranger by the Lake. Ooh. Oh, Stranger by the Lake. So this Seriously. actually won the Queer Palm at Cannes. Queer Palm. I see. I, this was this was the first time when this won the Queer Palm. This was the first time I realized um, there is a Queer Palm. There that, sure is. There was, <laughs> was my first time realizing that it exists, which is great. 
It is great. And um, this uh, this is an, also an interesting film because it has an has some unsimulated sex scenes. I'm curious to know what you all feel about unsimulated sex scenes in a mainstream film. Oh, boy. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty Liz Lemon about this sort of stuff. I'm like, I'm like, oh, there's. Is that was that necessary? Because I, I don't know. I, could, I feel like it all goes under the, the the umbrella of it's all acting. Like I feel like I like you know like you know violent scenes and you know and fight scenes and CG like it, it, acting with a CGI uh, you know character. It's all like acting, and so I, I get a little like okay, I could see. I mean, I could. See, I'm, I'm not anti or whatever. If everyone's on board and it's all safe and there's not like a million people on set that day, but um, yeah, in general, I'm just like I was like, oh, like sometimes I wonder if it. Uh, where's the acting? Anything? I guess. But what about our sex positive princess? I mean, I am very sex positive, but I also I just worry about the levels of consent. I think about younger actors or actresses yes. who may feel pressured into doing it for the art. Um, I recently finally saw the extended uh, "Blue is the warmest color" with like this long twelve-minute sex scene, and I was like, <laughs> "Ma'am, uh, sir." Who directed this? And as soon as I saw that it was a man, I was like, "No, oh, this is oh, not. Yeah. This is not appropriate." And I can't. He I, also uh, the the actresses uh, were very clear about the fact that they felt very coerced and very taken advantage of in that situation. Yeah, and even though they were using silicone prosthesis, I just feel like it's just such an intense, um, such an intense mode of scenes that has no plot relevance to it. Like, I think I'm totally pro consensual people doing it especially people who have you know intimacy directors and they make it very clear like I'm doing this because I think it'd be fun and you know if it's like a husband wife true blood thing I'm like go have fun but I, I I just think that as sex positive as I am I think that that is a level of professionality that I don't think every actor has the range for like Especially when you consider how people look down on pornography as a professional thing. It's like, I don't really feel comfortable with like, we stigmatize people who do consensual porn, but we throw it into a high class French movie and it gets a palm. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have the range. <laughs> do you have the range to have cunnilingus on screen? I well, you know, you. I, yeah. I have a degree in acting and that was never part of the curriculum. <laughs> that, that that would be a yeah. possibility. Yeah, I, I, I was going to add on to that. I know it sounded like I was being uh, sex negative. I'm, I'm, more, I'm more sex negative. No, you weren't. You no, weren't. I'm, I'm like, I, but, it, but it is, I feel like, you know, Princess is correct. The the unsimulated sex scenes to to me, unless I'm completely missing something, has a long and rich history of being coercive. Like it, or like it, some like I feel like every time I hear about it, I mean I know it always, we always hear about it when it makes news, but it almost always like every time I hear it like popping up, it's always like, well, turns out four years later, people like can finally confess that they did not feel cool about. I do want to point out that the actors in Stranger on the Lake, the, the body doubles were used. So these were these were not the actual actors in this particular film. Um, and just just in case you are not familiar with Stranger by the Lake, it is a uh, it is a thriller, an erotic thriller about a, a young man who finds a 
a nude beach, which is a cruising spot. Uh, his name is Frank. And he develops a crush on a mysterious man who he actually watches drown another man in the lake. <laughs> As you do. You know, it's like, oh, he's got a good grip. I think I think he's the one right? I want. Like, he's like, this is kind of hot. Mm, no. Well, it's a little that story about um, that RuPaul story. I, and it's it's like, it's not even uh, a RuPaul story. Is this story. about fracking? <laughs> <laughs> it's the other, like, dubious story about RuPaul. Um, it, Wait, yeah, I'm sorry. Did uh, RuPaul watch someone drown someone? <laughs> no, Ru did a interview. Like, this is his words. Where he said that he was like from it, he was like in his like he's in like a Manhattan apartment, and he like saw out on in like the river, so he saw like someone like in a boat like capsize, and like he saw someone drowning, and was like, oh, what do I? Do? And he literally said, I, I wasn't sure what to do, um, so he just said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for him, and then and then he just kind of didn't finish the story and just kind of said, I, I hope, you know, I hope he's okay. I never found out what happened. How the so. hell does that even come up in an interview? I swear to God, I don't know. But like, it's, it's like one of those things where it's like, I w- it would be one of those things where if anybody else had said this about Rue, people would be like, well, I don't know. What's the foundation of that? But like literally in an interview, he was like, I think he was like kind of, cause he's trying to do this kind of, um, you know, you know, kind of Oprah thing right now where he's like very, wellness oriented and this and that and kind of the mindfulness and and yeah this came up as like power like he was praying for this person who was drowning so yes there is is a lot of gay precedent (laughs) for watching someone drown so oh my god uh it's uh yeah it's it's an interesting film and as you can imagine the uh love interest uh goes on a murderous spree and uh we are left wondering Will our protagonist be his next victim? What's the deal? It's uh, it's super creepy, but also really well done. Uh, kind of a fascinating tale of uh, of possible romance and sex and murder and um, you know, it's it's cool. I think it's cool to see films, and actually, quite a few of these horror films are, I think, are are films that could be made with any gender. And still have a really cool resonating factor to them. Uh, but bringing in the whole cruising element. So this is, I think this is, uh, I think Stranger uh, in the Lake is maybe set in the 80s or something. I don't think we ever really get a clear vibe as to when it's supposed to be happening. Well, there's a real mustache vibe. In this there's movie. there's definitely a mustache vibe. <laughs> yeah, that's what yes. I noticed. I was like, okay, so we are definitely Dancer in the Dark era type uh <laughs> Right. right now. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is definitely, um, yeah, if it's not the 80s, then it's, it's, then it's pretty much, then it's, it feels like it's purposely echoing that. Oh, and then, so we go to our next erotic thriller, which is also set in a, in not our current time, it's set in 1979, and that is Knife and Heart, also referred to as Un Coteur dans le Coeur. I just needed to say that. Uh, all I have to say to you is I'm dildo impressed. switchblade. Dildo switchblade. Oh, boy. Mm. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> this was upsetting. <laughs> yes. So just a little background for uh, our listeners. So Knife and Heart is basically a story of a porn director, a lesbian who directs gay porn. 
and also happens to be the world's worst girlfriend. And this takes place in 1979, so it's very, like, free uh, free sexuality, pre-AIDS crisis. Um, and all of these uh, gay porn actors start end up end up starting to be murdered. And um, and so our lesbian director, Anne, is kind of trying to figure out the mystery about what's happening with these these actors. And she has a girlfriend who works with her as the editor of her uh, of her porn films and ends up uh, very rarely do we see this in film. But there is a queer sexual assault and sexually assaults Lois, her girlfriend. It's a very disturbing scene. Uh, it's it certainly makes Anne a very difficult protagonist to um, to side with in any situation. It's just a really fascinating, weird, unsettling film. I'd love to know how all of you feel about it. Yeah, it's um, like it was kind of one of those things where like I was really vibing with it before the assault, obviously. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, does this need, does this need to be part of it? Um, but, cause yeah, I mean, again, like you said, like this is sort of like 1979, it's really taking place sort of at the, right before the AIDS crisis, like if it, like if the AIDS crisis was midnight, this is 11.59 PM. Um, like this, this, there really is kind of a, a mood to this where, you know, especially because it's like, you know, where, you know, these, these sort of young men are being slain and, you know, I, I at first I would, cause I'm very like, I'm, I'm very Mr. Metaphor. So I was very just like, oh, this is kind of, this feels like a kind of a metaphor for the crisis where a lot of these gays are dying and, you know, you know, and this, and this queer woman is going to like help out and like, and really, you know, kind of lead the charge and like kind of, you know, helping solve. And then, and then like kind of it went south. So then, then I was just like, mm, I'm not having fun anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm always, I, I'm still baffled with the decision to have, added that assault to this film because I think it could have been a really strong film without it and it doesn't add anything but disdain for your your lead um so I think it was just I'm still trying to figure out why it was there I I want to echo yeah, what I, Adam said oh sorry Adam um no I'm just, just gonna I'm just saying yeah I just <laughs> wanted to echo what Adam said and also I think what I have enjoyed about the previous two movies is that same thing I got when I first read uh, Dancer in the Dark, which I've referenced, which is a, um, a gay novel that came out in 1970-something. Um, I can't remember the exact day, uh, the exact author, but and time, because I'm bad at English. But I also think it's this kind of time capsule of like the freedom and lack of exact trauma that we get in um, gay works post the AIDS crisis or during the AIDS crisis, where like that is a huge part of the trauma is like, oh, the, the threat of AIDS is just hovering around us. So it was right. very Dancer from the Dance by Andrew uh, Helleran, published in 1978. I, was say, I thought Dancer in the Dark was that Bjork movie. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, wait, wait, wrong thing. But um. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Catherine Deneuve was in that, you know, lesbian icon. Exactly. Who's not a lesbian, but still. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I know we already talked about The Hunger, but I could talk about The Hunger again and again and again. Yes, 
Uh, but yeah, I, and I enjoyed seeing that. And then the assault was a thing where I was like, ah, yes, the, the other thing we all have to deal with in, in public spaces. And it's just like, that was a bit much and it did kind of take me out. But I will say this movie was serving vibes. I was like, oh, giving us lighting, giving us this crow imagery. Like even the poster I really am into. I'm like, oh, I would own this on a thing. Like this is cute. So I definitely was. Cinephotography is fantastic. The music the lighting you're right everything like the vibe is so there in this film yeah. yeah i think it's like it's one of those things where um yeah the cinematography it's it reminded me a lot of um kind of a similar time uh gosh um atomic blonde like it just reminded me of just like this like really kind of like nice retro cinematography bisexual lighting everywhere yeah <laughs> I mean, hot kind of, pinks <laughs> deep blues right. yeah yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And so atmospherically, really cool. Has some seriously problematic issues. Um, interesting film in general. And that leads us to another, what I, I don't know. I think Black Swan straddles the line of erotic thriller and psychological horror, but I, I kind of grouped it in here because it was such a huge film. Um, and it's certainly the one that has the biggest names. So we've got Darren Aronofsky as director. We've got Natalie Portland, Mila Kunis, and the triumphant return of Winona Ryder. Did you suck his cock? Like <laughs> <laughs> Winona Ryder announcing her return in the, in the most powerful way. Yes, this was the beginning of her coming back into uh, the film and television industry. Yeah, it was this, I was, when this came out, this was all I could talk about for like a year. Um, then I want you, I want you to lead this conversation then. So talk, then to, I me about, yes. <laughs> talk to me about Black Swan, Adam. <laughs> yeah, this is like a really important movie for me. Um, I think it's got everything. I think it's, I, it's got like, it touches on, it's like psychological horror. It's got, um, it's got suspense. It's got like body horror you know, this, this inexplicable body horror stuff later on is even, even the body horror of like Winona Ryder, like stabbing her own cheek with the, with the nail file. Um, like it's, it's, it's one of those things where I'm such a, cause it, it kind of, it has a, a dash of kind of Lynch trippiness, um, sort of elegant women unraveling kind of thing that, you know, you know, the gay guys love. Um, and then, you know, you've also got, you know, this kind of queer romance happening, which there's a lot of unreliable narrator stuff happening, which is very, speaks to me. Um, yeah, Black Swan was, um, I, I think also like kind of going back to um, even our werewolf episode, which I, I basically kind of like uh, titled it kind of basically after Black Swan, which is, uh, you know, whatever happened to my sweet girl, which is like such a classic line of dialogue because um, we're setting up Nina Sayers' character who is, um, you know, kind of follows, you know, you know, uh, kind of a traditional queer person route, which is, um, you know, this sort of person who's a little um, uh, high strung because of kind of a very dominant family presence. Um, and for that reason, 
she is frozen in time. If you go into her room, it is full of stuffed animals. Right. Arrest, like an arrested development. Yes. Like it's very Selena Kyle Batman returns before she, you know, becomes Catwoman. Like it's just all these like cute, pretty pink, like even like, you know, uh, Barbara Hershey, who's like such a villainess in this role without really being traditionally a, a villain. Um, who's the mom who kind of comes in, even like, even just like her putting down, um, a, a half a grapefruit in front of her seems right. menacing because it's such it's such paltry food. Right, she is totally and channeling Piper Laurie Carrie yes. in this. It's I was very, just thinking like, that too, Dana. Yes. It's such a vibe. She's got this sort of like frozen smile on her face. There's a sense of danger of what did you just say? Like, like different to Barbara. She like she she's like she, she's this got this dominant you know uh, parent in the house. And then it, that there is sort of a big kind of queer connection, which I really responded to, which was like sort of this arrested development, frozen in time. Um, she's this sweet little girl, but then obviously the more she um, uh, gets to know Mila Kunis, who is a friend slash rival slash love interest, which is very gay. Um, oh, the lesbians, the queer women. We love that. <laughs> the queer women, but like the, the gay guys too. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, like, growing up was a big like it, it it was impossible to disentangle the guys i was i felt incredibly jealous of and then the guys mm-hmm. that i wanted to be with like it was it's it's all so tangled up yeah um and this just super spoke to that in a way that i really hadn't seen yet and um and you're kind of seeing like even in these kind of scenes you have this nice beautiful moody score where she's you know, even in bed, you know, kind of, uh, you know, thinking of, um, you know, thinking of Mila Kunis, thinking of, you know, kind of becoming more sexual, but she's surrounded by all this stuffy stuff, like this, this like cute pink kitty stuff everywhere. It just is very, and then it kind of goes down this very rapidly dark route um, where she maybe had sex with Mila Kunis. She maybe did not. Right. We're um, not sure. We're not sure. We're not, yeah. Up is down, left is right. And I, Adam, I just want to attack on to what you're saying. I, I think rarely does a film hit the sweet spot for lesbians, queer women, and queer men in yes. the way that Black Swan does. Absolutely. But we all are on board. It, it's one of those things where I feel like Black Swan should be like the president of Glad or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a way to make a movie that is the Glad. I have a very, <laughs> that's such a perfect thing. I, I have a very visceral memory of being in college, having the Black Swan DVD and being like to all of my friends, gay and straight alike, female, and be like, we're going to watch this right now. And we were all watching for the same reason. We wanted to see Mila Kunas and Natalie Portman, 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 kiss. Because I was just like, I was like a baby gay. I didn't know I was really, I was like, I just think women are pretty. It's nice. It's fine. And I was just like watching. And the scene happened and we were all like enthralled by it. And it was just, as an anime fan, it was like kind of like this dark, magical girl thing of like this woman like transforming herself into this perfect feminine form but to do so has to also be this dark feminine form and I think it's like as a as a bisexual woman it it very much hit on me this idea of like there are two kinds of 
queer you can be. You can be the femme or you can be this dark vampiric person. Which one are you going to be? And Nina, which was, one are you, princess? Uh, I'm both. <laughs> Much like Le- Nina, I, I I impale myself on many objects so I can I can embody both. Um, Have you recently pulled out any uh, feathers from uh, your uh, your body? Um, not as yet, not as yet. Okay, but my okay, down just, comforter it, it's gonna is happen. a lot. Yeah. It's going to happen. I can't wait, yeah. honestly, because then I won't have to take the plate anymore. I could just open my wings and be like, I'm out. <laughs> We'd be like, there she goes, princess. I was like, I don't have to ever be in a super spreader situation ever. I'm like, I'm out. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. It's so, like, because yeah, the body horror stuff, too, like, the, the, the feathers and this and this, like, the grossness, like, even the before there's the feather stuff and, and the, the everything, um, like, as she's getting ready in the morning, there's all of this very heightened sound effects, close-up stuff of, like, her breaking a nail, her, like, a toenail, like, these cracking knuckles, these, like, she's binding her foot. Like, it's just, it shows how, like, really visceral, you know, being, you know, like, ballerina training is, but it's also just, it puts you in this mindset of, like, ugh, my body sucks and I hate it. Like, it's just, it, I think bringing that additional like element in the body horror element is very central to why it's like taking the queerness to an 11 because I think there is a body horror low-key element in in gay stuff because it really is sometimes feels like your body has like fully buried you it's just a fucking masterpiece I think we can all agree on that absolutely Mila Kunis was robbed I was like I and I (laughs) she was so good Mila Kunis is like my forever girl. Like I loved her since that '70s show because to me, like uh, Jackie is like the ultimate alpha, like gay. Like to me, she's like Cheryl mm-hmm. Blossom and Riverdale energy. I'm like, you really is a lesbian though. Like you just like you just want all these like men around you for like clout, but you really want to be with a beautiful woman, and not. And I think that's neat. Uh, so yeah. such a missed opportunity between her and Donna, <laughs> right? I feel like, oh my god, that is I what we need. Like Mila Kunis in um her like complete number one moment in this is like just her in that bar, like where she's just super vibe. She's got these other two guys, but those other two guys just seem so immaterial um to that scene like it's just really about like she's sort of it seems like almost like Mila Kunis is sort of having these guys here to sort of have a certain like it seems like the guys are like the pot of boiling water she needs to kind of get the moment going between her and speaking speaking of bars and Mila Kunis have you ever seen I think it's is it Jack no it what is it it's um it's some like whiskey or bourbon or something and she does uh, commercials for it. There's one where she's in a bar and she buys a drink for this woman. It's the gayest commercial ever. Yeah, she again, like she, Mila Kunis looking at kind of a, a, a kind of flipping out, intoxicated Valley Portman and just kind of saying, "You really need to relax." It's just like the queerest moment. Who hasn't had? Who hasn't had a much more adult gay person come up to and be like, "Babe, have you? Have you?" enjoyed the touch of a same-sex person today because you really you you, you need to be held you want to cuddle and i was just like, I like do. listen here prin- pillow princess come into my lair yeah i don't think a queer guy has ever fucking had that much thrall over me the way mila kunis has that over the entire audience and and nina in that moment 
my favorite moment of what could have been is like uh, in Gia with Angelina Jolie in it. Mila Kunis plays baby Gia. And I'm just like, Mila Kunis grows up to be Angelina Jolie. And I thought to myself, like, this is how I win. <laughs> <laughs> now, OK, I ask you to think about this. Mila Kunis and Aubrey Plaza in a movie together. Like the sequel to Happiest Season, but that becomes her girlfriend. Yes, yes. I, I do. I do think that that is genius. And I, I will write the script right now. That would be the ultimate, like, who's on top. Like, I would be stumped. <laughs> Somebody's got to be a switch in this. That's a switch couple. Like, but my two rom-com couples, like, if we're just doing, like, pretty white femmes, is, like, Mila Kunas and um, Aubrey Plaza. And then also Angelina Jolie and Charlize Theron. I'm like, that's, like, the no. ultimate power Stop switches. It. Stop it. That's too much eyes. That's, like, they'd all need that Morticia Adams highlight. <laughs> I will provide it personally. I will like take the dewdrops of every gay bar and be like, "This is all for you, queen." I, I'm just picturing Princess like holding a special spot. <laughs> you got me screaming about these four spider women. I love that. This is <laughs> like I watched that second Maleficent movie. I was like Michelle Pfeiffer and Charlize there. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Angelina Jolie. Like, how will the cheekbones survive? Like, this is. We didn't. We barely made it through. I was oh like, my God, the movie you're... wasn't that good, but I was like, but I but I won because I came for cheekbones and cheekbones were delivered. So you've got me thinking, okay, so you got those so you got those four actresses you mentioned. They each have like other than Aubrey Plaza, like you'd have each of them, you have Maleficent, then you'd have Charlize's Snow White Queen, then you'd have um Mila's Wicked Witch from The Great and Powerful Oz, which was a total flop and a total misuse of Mila. Yes. But, again, you could have this sort of, like, Avengers of, like, evil, evil lesbian ladies. Love it. I was going to say, I was like, Wired, Tired is, like, her in fucking that terrible James Francophile movie. But Wired is, like, but it's her in Jupiter Ascending. And she's like, oh, I also realize that I'm a powerful uh, alien witch queen. So I'm going to do that there instead. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, speaking of eyes that command, let's let's move on to Jake Gillenthal, Gillenthal, whatever in Gil- Velvet Gillenthal, yeah. whatever <laughs> Jake in Velvet Buzzsaw. Listen, uh, more Renee Russo, I say. Well, you know, this is our, I believe, our only bisexual male lead. In uh, in modern horror, and you know Jake Gyllenhaal is delicious enough to pull it off. Like I, I'm here with you, Adam. Like that's a that it, like he he can do it. I he read James Baldwin one time. I'm like he's woke. It's fine. He's doing the work. He's doing the work. He's channeling Brett Easton Ellis characters that. Um, I know we're all fl- we're we're flushing Brett Easton Ellis, but but his but the but the work remains uh, uh, underlining a very important type of queer man that um, I don't think much of media really focuses on ever, which is the evil queer man. Which I think, which is weird. We are, we are not seeing that more often in media since that is basically the narrative on on the internet that we all agree on. So well, isn't it because <laughs> it's it's like a cycle we have to get so we so we 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 went through that cycle of 
gay men being evil because they were being vilified for their queerness. And now mm. and same same with lesbians and queer women. But now it's like we can actually get to a point where lesbians and bisexual and queer people can and even trans I'm, I'm hoping in a few years we can get this with trans characters but they can be evil or they can be the bad guy but it's not because of their queerness or their gender yeah yeah i mean just let us be done with it. i mean again like again it, it, just from a pure like character point of view like i mean obviously like the right people have to make it it has to be done correctly but it's just the more fun role to do. So it's the more fun thing to see. So again, it's something where I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to just like, just to be respectable, have to like be relegated to these sort of like do-gooders forever. Right. And and and, uh, and Jake's character is, uh, I mean, he's an art snob. So it's basically a film about art snobs being murdered by art. Which, <laughs> I mean, that's what I, that is like the current, like the, the Paris Review's worst nightmare. Yeah, I, I, I would want to see the Velvet Buzzsaw where it's about um, the queer guys at like, um, at like a, a, like a, like a media company, like being killed by hot takes. <laughs> the, it's, like it's a Twitter. Tweet, a tweet comes to life. And like a, yeah, the tweets kill it. Yeah, or like, or like, a, like, a, like a, like a, like a clickbait piece like a headline where they just where they where they want to get ratioed um and it's one of these guys who's just like out of control and you know claiming the moral high ground left and right but like everybody secretly wants wants you guys i'm already seeing i've seen the through line it's it's called you've been canceled oh my god the can well the canceller becomes the canceled canceled that's that's something we are seeing quite a lot more of in 2021 is is (laughs) The turntables turning on the tables people. Have, yeah. are returning. Yes. <laughs> oh, girl, don't even get me started. It's been a weekend, but it I will sure say, Adam's comment about the evil thing made me have an idea. Rope remake, but it's Mad <laughs> Bomber and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, um, uh, oh, oh, and but who's going to be the the professor? Because you got to break Mar- oh, Jimmy Stewart. Right, 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 right. Oh, too, Lee too much of an Eagle Scout. We got it. We got to get a oh. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> we gotta um What about what about uh, Sam Neal? I could see Sam Neal. Oh, Neil. some elegant, yeah. Elegant, I mean, yeah. Or you or like or Derek like, Jacoby okay. if we're gonna make it on him a little bit older. Right. Well, oh Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. Yeah, sort of like uh, you know, sort of I can't believe you took this low-key Nazi white supremacy sort of st- talking points of mine and then ran with it to this degree. How are we not in charge of Hollywood? We've come up with four oh, movie seriously. ideas since we've seriously. just been doing this 35-minute podcast. Like. Yeah. And, and I, I want some residuals if any of these end up getting picked up. Absolutely. We have the receipts. Yeah. Split it three ways. Yeah, you kind of do like sort of, um, yeah, one of them is like, one of the rope guys is like a, a Milo Yiannopoulos sort of analog person. Stop it, Adam. Right. Stop it right now. <laughs> Everybody would too. <laughs> get arrested all right all right we have to we have to move on to what i think is a way that modern queer horror can go really wrong and that is the 2013 film contracted um i can't tell you how much i dislike this film if you're not familiar with it it's a it's a body horror piece about a a lesbian 
who has her heart broken by her girlfriend and then gets drugged and sexually assaulted by a faceless stranger and ends up getting this horrific STD that basically slowly but surely turns her into a zombie. Um, it's it's all about being punished for her, like, unsh- on being unsure of her sexuality. Um, she ends up killing uh, her former lover. Uh, she ends up trying to seduce a man it, uh, who has a crush on her. It's, it's just a fucking mess, this movie. Yeah, a lot of modern horror is very rapey. So yeah, it's like now. Yeah, it's like now rape is the trauma, and it's like it reminded me of like bad or it's follows because I like it's follows for what it is, but it's like at least they didn't physically make the STI a rotting thing. And also, please stop making STIs a effing uh, monster, big bad because there's nothing wrong with having an STI. It literally happens to thousands millions of people and turning it into a monster is not as revolutionary as you think it is well that's the thing because it was one of those things where um we didn't i can't believe i could have i can't believe i didn't include this in the in the werewolf episode but curse is basically does use like that as an sti metaphor and it just turns into like this thing where i'm like wait a minute so it's what it um yeah it's just it's it's a little it's yeah that's it's it's a little something that should maybe be stopped but i really can't stand the the punishment element of this it feels like we had really pushed but even even 10 years ago we had really pushed past that but this poor woman just is just assaulted from every angle uh, in throughout this film and just i mean like like very very horrific body horror like maggots falling out of her vagina like her nails peeling off uh, just it's just some really really grotesque things and it all feels like a punishment for trying to trying to figure herself out yeah and like the other thing is like the the assault leaving a trauma that only continues to degrade a person worse and worse and is irreversible feels nasty. I I absolutely yeah. agree. It feels very... And even the poster itself, like, contracted. It's like, it just... I... And it's happening after a rape scene. So it's like a whole thing that is like, you're being punished for being assaulted. You know, it's just, it's like, it, it is just very, very reductive on a bunch mm-hmm. of different levels. And I just don't think that we need to have sexually transmitted diseases turn into body harmor, especially considering like what syphilis used to be able to do to the body, all the things that we used to hear about, you know, HIV and AIDS victims back when they had a lack of a more severe lack of care due to the government being a piece of shit. Like, I just feel like it it, it comes from a place of not understanding the history of how these things can be super stigmatizing and is attempting to like deconstruct or reclaim it. But it's a man who clearly doesn't have the range. Yeah, this really screams like, man woke up one day and had a cute idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in our next episode, we're actually going to talk about one of my favorite male horror directors, Lucky McKee. And 
who is I feel very much the opposite of uh, this uh, this situation with contracted. So uh, we'll get to that. But before before we we're, we're winding down episode one of our modern horror, but we have to talk about the Babadook and how the Babadook became a gay icon, which is a very interesting story. Um, suddenly, <laughs> do you do, do the both of you know how it happened? I just remember my like Pride 2017 being full of Babadook stuff, like on signs in LA. Like it was just that it was the moment. So I I find it very silly, but I love a silly moment. So no, I don't know the backstory too, but I but I do have a, it, it, there is a fondness for it. Yeah, I don't know the backstory either, but I stand it because I love the Babadook. So I was like, I mean, we welcome all. So are you going right. to be our queer historian, Dana? I am. Keep so it actually, it actually started as so. Apparently, Netflix had put the Babadook under LGBTQ content during Pride Month, and somebody took a screenshot of it, and it became a meme. And suddenly, it was all over social media that the Babadook was gay. So much, it, it became such a big thing that they even released like a special Blu-ray edition of the Babadook with a rainbow <laughs> background. And um, <laughs> Jennifer Kent, uh, who directed the film, uh, she was quoted as saying, I think it's crazy and that this meme just kept him alive. And I thought, ah, oh, you bastard. He doesn't want to die. So he's finding ways to become relevant. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is great. Like this was and it was kind of in this era where I think we were like kind of picking a new like horror baby for a, a queer icon every single year. And it usually was like a like someone who was like sort of a little fashionista and um, he's got his hat. He's kind of like, he has sort of a, uh, you know, he's kind of coming in there and, you know, kind of attracted to depression. Are so. you saying that that Freddy Krueger walked so the Babadook could run? Exactly. And then I think from there, wasn't Pennywise the next one after that? I think people shipped them. I think people were like Baba Duck, uh, oh, uh, yes. Pennywise shippers. Got it. Yeah, I think there was a, there was a lot of twee art going around in 2018 of like Baba Duck and Pennywise. Is that like, is that Penny Duck? Is that the, uh, the oh, word? Could be. Well, yeah. Why don't we say it? Uh, Baba Wise. Yeah, I think Penny Duck is good. Um, yeah, there was a lot of like art of like um, them with the, with the, wrapped around each other in a scarf at a, at a coffee shop. <laughs> It was all very romantic stuff. And and, and the the internet should never stop doing stuff like that. No, they they shouldn't. It's the only good thing. Um, The fact is that The Babadook's an excellent movie. It was Jennifer Kent's first, it was her directorial debut. Uh, She's an Australian director. And it's it's the story of this, this, like, basically just this absolutely exhausted mother who is a widow and... um, I want to know who thought the Mr. Babadook book would be an ideal for children. Um, the Grimm's brothers, um, apparently, like, they're like, oh, we're just going in the, in the ancient tradition of teaching children to be afraid so that they will shut the F up. Um, which I, as a future parent, maybe think is uh, completely appropriate. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Future kids are getting... Scary stories to tell in the dark, like that's that's something where yeah, I feel like, and I'm and as like my nieces, like something <laughs> was happening. So last summer we moved closer to to uh, to North Carolina to be, be near my family, and um, 
my niece was going through, she was three and uh, now she's four. Um, and she's going through my like DVDs and she saw like a Beetlejuice DVD. And just the poster alone, she lost it. Like she was like, what is this? Who's this guy on the thing? There's like spider hands. There's like snake fingers. There's there's a guy with a stretchy face. Like she was, she was like it. It like completely spun the top in her brain. Um, and so like so much so that I was like I was like oh no no, no okay we're gonna hide the DVD it's gone. Um, and we got rid of it and we you know we put it in a different room and like then she came in the next day and was like where's the DVD? Like she was really like she wanted to know where it was. <laughs> she now. was she was all she into was the like, Babadook. She's like, is it here? And she, she, she couldn't, she, she became very hyper fixated. Um, and it was one of those things where like, like my parents were so worried that something or she was upset blah, blah, blah. and I was like, believe me, in 20 years, she's going to be about Beetlejuice. Like, this is just going to be one of those things that right, just right. imprints. That's the thing. Like, it all starts as fear. And mm-hmm. then we just like super interpret it. And, you know, most, I think a lot, you know, I would say like some of us, I think eventually like, you know, um, kind of just, it kind of remains a fear moment where we just go, no, no, I can't do that. No. Um, like that was me as a kid seeing a child's play poster in a movie theater. Like I didn't see child's play until a year ago because I was so, um, like up through my thirties, I was like, no, 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 I have like a bad experience when I was like, you know, five years old seeing the child's play poster in a movie theater I can't do that it freaked me out too much um and so I think you know I think we either go two ways or you know it continues to terrify us or you kind of go the other way and you just become super obsessed with it and that's how little horror babies are created that's how I was created like my sister worked at a uh, horror store and I walked in one time and I was just surrounded by all of these monster masks and I ran out and then 10 years later, I was like, I think Freddy's my daddy. You know, I was like, I was like, I think I'm into Pinhead now. And I'm just like, this is fine. Um, but going back to the Babadook, I can say it makes me cry. I remember the ending where the mother finally is like fully possessed by the power of the Babadook Duke. And like, she's going to like kill her child and her, and the son is like, I know this isn't you, mommy. I know this isn't who you are. So when the kid is basically just like, you're my mommy. I know this isn't you hurting me. I sobbed. I was like, I went from being like, this is the most annoying child on earth to being like, protect this sweet little angel. He just, he knows it's not his mommy. He knows she possessed by the demons, Lord. Don't let this baby die. (laughs) I love a good, I love a good, like, you know, like mom and son kind of moment. Like we're, we're like, where they just understand each other really well. Like, I, I think that's like super great. I mean, it's, it's, and I like, um, you know, I, I love, a, I love a good with their enemies as well, but I feel like it's always very nice to see that kind of like, you know, where the, where the kid understands. It was very sweet. Well, the Babadook essentially is their shared trauma of this terrible car accident, losing the husband, losing this father. And, and what I love about the Babadook is she takes control of her trauma. It doesn't completely go away, but she has, she knows how to deal it, deal with it. And, you know, now we have her trauma as the Babadook, like living quietly in the basement, but she has taken back her life from this trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. We love to see it. This is definitely this type of thing that 
speaks to me as a Lynch fan. Like when we talked about Fire Walk With Me, this is something that's very important to me for like Laura Palmer's story, um, which is another... It's, it's another horror movie that does center on um, assault and trauma there, but in a different way in which she is given 1,000% of the agency and it's, and it's kind of showing, like, here's how, you know, here's how you, you know, here's how you can, you know, kind of continue after after that moment. So I think that's, like, super beautiful. And I remember, like, in the war in my own mind between Hereditary and the Babadook, I was like, Team Babadook. Because I don't, I <laughs> I have weird feelings about Ari Eisner's works. Like, I really, I'll rewatch them and be like, this is good. But I like the original better. That's always my feeling after I leave an Ari Eisner production. But I, like, the talent is there. But I'm like, mm. But this was two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, that's a great place for us to to end this episode. Uh, by all means, please stay tuned for our next episode where we will continue our conversation about modern queer horror. Uh, but first, Princess, tell our listeners where they can find you. You guys can find me on Twitter at, at WeeksPrincess, W-E-E-K-E-S. And you can find me on YouTube under the name Melina Pendulum, where I have fun content talking about television shows, bisexuality, and intersectional queerness, because that's how we do it at Princess's House. Adam, Mr. Sass, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Sass, where I'm there every day. Um, even if I announce loudly that I'm through with this app, I will be back momentarily. Um, but you can also find me at adamsassbooks.com where you can order my debut novel, Surrender Your Sons, and, uh, see, uh, information about my upcoming novels next year. Yes, definitely pick yourself up a copy of that. And, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dana Pickley. That's two C's, one L. And also find me at Queer Media Matters, where I'm talking about all things LGBTQ media. And, um, we thank you so much for tuning in and making this such a fun, uh, fun little uh, podcast dalliance that we've, uh, we've been doing since the fall. And, uh, until next time, stay queer and stay spooky. Scream Pod Squad.